0: So this week we're back in Ecclesiastes 3. Last week we looked at the wisdom teachings in Ecclesiastes, uh, the teachings of Solomon. Um, we looked at the different life seasons, how there's generally a time for everything. We looked at the different life seasons, and we realized that good things happen, bad things happen, but we need the right perspective. We can enjoy the moment and the daily gifts that God blesses us with, But we can also hope for a better future when hard times come, because we know that God is sovereign, He's in control, and He's promised to work out everything for our good, for those of us that love Him, that know God. So, we also found out that God's placed eternity in the heart of humankind. So religious people, non-religious people, agnostic people, atheists, Modern civilization, indigenous peoples, everybody has eternity planted in their heart. God created them that way, to yearn for him. So we have this awesome awareness and longing for the eternal. The message of Ecclesiastes, consistent throughout, is that every human endeavor and achievement lacks ultimate value apart from God. And although life is to be enjoyed, we should live with the proper Fear of God, knowing that God is God and we are not. And this draws us into a relationship with God. So we can find peace, joy, and a future with hope in the resurrected Jesus, not in being the God of our own life. So today we're going to conclude chapter 3 with a, with a look at verses 16 through 22. Uh, we're going to consider the issues of the injustices of life and the reality of death and end some, with some hope. Please stand with me. We're going to read from Ecclesiastes three sixteen to 22. If you've got a red church Bible, this is page 552. 552. Okay, verse 16. I also noticed that under the sun there is evil in the courtroom. Yes, even the courts of law are corrupt. I said to myself, in due season, God will judge everyone, both good and bad, for all their deeds. I also thought about the human condition. How God proves to people that they are like animals. For people and animals share the same fate. Both breathe and both must die. So people have no real advantage over the animals. How meaningless. Both go to the same place. They came from dust and they return to dust. For who can prove that the human spirit goes up and the spirit of animals goes down into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better for people than to be happy in their work. That is our lot in life, and no one can bring us back to see what happens after we die. Go ahead and take a seat. So, yeah, very encouraging passage there on the heels of some great missions reports. Thank you, Janice and team, again. Uh, but a much misunderstood reality in our earthly lives, and what makes it most difficult for us to understand God's ways and to properly respond, is this problem of injustice in our life and injustice in the world that we observe around us now to solomon's credit he believed that god would eventually balance the scales of injustice and that he could use injustice for his own purposes but it's still a difficult reality to accept life is tough there's a lot of injustice it's not always fair uh quick switch into a little quick story here so summer is an incredible time as you all know it's a change of pace for many of us in our neighborhood Kids are out of school, there's like a little gathering, dare I say, gang of children just gathering on bicycles, tricycles, um, scooters, skateboards. One night I counted 21 kids just within four or five houses in front of our house, just ripping up and down the street. I'm trying to keep my kids off the street, on the sidewalk, other kids are allowed to go onto the street, it's just it's a big jumble. Pop up the picture now, Johnny. Here's what makes it fun for everybody. This guy right here, the ice cream truck. In our neighborhood, the ice cream truck, um, I don't know, seemed to come a couple times a week during the year. Now that it's summer, every night the ice cream truck is coming. I don't like this. Every night the ice cream truck is coming. And the way it works is you can hear that annoying eternal jingle that it plays, and you can hear it far off, and so can your kids. So it always happens to be right before bedtime, We hear that song. It's and and all the parents on the block are saying, "No, no, no! It's not coming this way. It's way over there. It's not. It's not. It's not going to come." And of course, it is. It's coming directly for our street. Um, By the way, by the way, this is a real ice cream truck. It's for sale on eBay for twenty two thousand dollars. You can own this and be the most popular or the most despised person in your neighborhood. One or the other. Um, All this to say. The kids beg for ice cream when this thing comes. The parents on our street have kind of started to coordinate a little bit. So we kind of look at each other. Okay, tonight's an ice cream night. Tonight it's not an ice cream night. That way it's a yes or a no. There's no begging. There's no comparing. We're coordinating. We're, we're wising up a little bit. Um, but kids will say, this isn't fair. And we'll say, well, you had ice cream yesterday and also last week. You know, No, but it's not fair. I want it now. So, Kids just have this mantra, life, or, this is not fair, this is not fair, this is not fair. It goes with the ice cream nights too. Now here's the deal. It's actually okay that kids are learning that things aren't fair. It's okay. It's helpful for our children, for us as adults, even to be reminded that things aren't fair. I think sometimes as we get older, we kind of get really confident in our, in our abilities. We kind of set things up in life the way that we want. We start kind of trusting in ourselves, and something doesn't go our way, and we're like little kids saying, "This isn't fair. This is not what I want, but it's a good reminder for all of us. Now, if you do have kids, as I do, a couple of good reminders here. We don't need to run to our kids' teachers every time our kids complain about something that happened at school. We don't need to ask for a meeting with our kids' coach because they sat on the bench last night and didn't play. We don't need to manipulate situations using our influence to make things easier for our kids. We're actually doing them a favor by letting them experience the fact that life is not fair at an early age, so when it gets really tough, they essentially don't freak out, but they're well-adjusted people with an emotional intelligence and more character because of it. So life is not fair. What I'm not saying is don't advocate for your, ch- for your child when necessary. There are clear times where you need to step up and advocate. be an advocate. Also, for those of you uh perhaps aging, an aging spouse, an aging relative, there are times where you need to be an advocate for that person, especially in the health field, uh as your elderly relative gets bounced around from doctor to doctor without a without a, a plan of care or treatment. So we don't just kind of lay you know, step aside, but you get what I'm saying here. Life is not fair. Whether you're a child or an adult, it's not fair. And it's gonna continue to be not fair, this this side of eternity, okay? Um We need wisdom. Let's go back to the text, verses 16 and 17. So last week, after briefly flirting with confidence in eternity and this idea of fearing God, God's in charge, Solomon returns to this perspective of under the sun, under the sun. This is life kind of assuming this is all, all we can see is all there actually is. Okay. This is what, this is what, uh, it states in verse 16 and following. I also notice that under the sun, there is evil in the courtroom. Yes, even the courts of law are corrupt. He goes on to say, In due season, God will judge everyone, both good and bad. But right now, this is what I see. Other translations say, In the place of justice, there is wickedness. In the place of righteousness, there is wickedness. So a corrupt justice system makes for a lot of injustice. They, They figured out that then. Many societies now know that today as well. Solomon was really fired up about this because he saw injustice and and oppression where the rights of the poor should have been protected. We see see these examples in uh, justice systems all over the world today as well. Lobbying, corruption, influence. How do these things relate to each other from a justice perspective? Systemic injustice, very pervasive in many societies of the world, basically things are designed to keep things not right in societies. Uh, millions skimmed off the top of, of aid sent to developing countries because of, because of corruption in the receiving countries or the lack of ability to process the funds and turn it into help. All these things point to injustices in our world. Got some stats here related to human trafficking. The International Labor Organization estimates that there are 40.3 million victims of human trafficking globally. 81% trapped in forced labor, 25% children, 75% women and girls. The International Labor Organization estimates that this is a $150 billion industry worldwide. The U.S. Department of Labor has been watching this very closely, and they've identified 148 goods from 75 countries made by forced or child labor. You can find this on their website if you're curious. It's really hard to get away from. This is pervasive in the world, and it's a big example of injustice. Of course, in the Central Valley, there's ways to get involved. There's uh, local ministries here that you can get involved with that bring awareness to the issue, that work with prevention or work with rescue with human trafficking. Um, Sybil Colbert is involved in, in some of these efforts. You can talk to her at some point if you'd like. Uh, so injustice is everywhere in our day as well. And yet we see in this portion of Ecclesiastes hope of divine judgment and vindication, but the timing is just not defined in the text. Solomon probably believed this was going to happen maybe in his lifetime or take place on the earth, but the text just doesn't say And one of the larger problems that we're left with is trying to understand in the overall plan of God how is it that reward and punishment somehow seem to be noticeably absent? Noticeably absent. So if humankind doesn't have to deal with eternity, which we do, and if this life is all there is, which it's not, then maybe evil and wicked people win and many good and righteous people lose. As much as the popular culture likes the Hindu idea of karma. It doesn't consistently work. When I think about karma, people reference this all the time across different religions, ways of thinking, philosophies. Uh, when I was in high school, a popular band was Radiohead. Anybody heard of Radiohead? There's a few hands there. Some of you are just happy I'm not talking about you 2 again. Um, Radiohead was a popular band when I was in high school. had a song called Karma Police. I don't think they were far off when they said... This is what you get. This is what you'll get when you mess with us. Karma police. I've given all I can and it's not enough. With karma, you think you're gonna, you're gonna do the right thing and it's gonna come back. The reality is you do all you can and it's not enough. Things don't always work out the way you think that it would. In our earthly lives, a lot of evil people win and a lot of good people lose. Think about developing countries. If you're born into a developing country, you can do all the right things. You can have an attitude. You can put your faith in God. You can have a great community around you, and you might still be stuck in a way of life this side of eternity. In the caste system, even less hope. Okay, so there's no guarantee, and people have seen that this doesn't work consistently. Even with the biblical principle of sowing and reaping, it doesn't mean that you're going to necessarily reap all of your benefits, this side of eternity. A lot of that is going to be eternal rewards and recognitions that come later and things made right later. When Jesus comes back to be king on this earth, to bring us into eternity, he's going to make everything right. He's going to right every wrong. So that comes a lot of times later on. Now, given our our context and the luxury of knowing some New Testament theology and understanding God, we might read into this text, a judgment that takes place after death. But again, it's not, it's not in the text. And you can see in Ecclesiastes, there's not a really well developed theology of the afterlife. But again, the New Testament makes contributions in this area. In 2 Timothy 1.10, it says that Jesus broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. So with the gospel being revealed, there comes a lot of understanding about eternity and or future and what happens after death. And prior to that was a lot of speculation. Now, verses 18 to 22 take a little bit of a hopeless or even agnostic attitude towards the concept of death. Let's check these out briefly. Verse 18. I also thought about the human condition, how God proves to people they are like animals. For people and animals share the same faith. Both breathe and both must die. So people have no advantage over the animals. How meaningless. Again, this is the perspective of under the sun, under the sun, assuming that life is all there is. Uh, but you in, in that way of thinking, the author observes that humans and animals both die. And his perspective is there's not really a great advantage to being a human if that's if that's all there is. The next two verses don't bring a lot of hope either. Hang tight, the hope is coming. Verses 20 and 21. Both go to the same place. They came from dust into the du- and they return to dust. For who can prove that the human spirit goes up and the spirit of an animal goes down into the earth? So again, hopelessness, speculation. And you see this in Ecclesiastes again and again. Uh, because of this meaninglessness of life, the difficulties of life, the unknown, the message is, you know, enjoy. Enjoy what you can. Enjoy the moment. Enjoy your work. Enjoy your life. And then fear God. Realize that God is God, and you are not this is consistent even with, even with the final message. If you fast forward to the end of Ecclesiastes, the author says this that 's the whole story. Here is now my final conclusion: Fear God and obey His command, for this is everyone 's duty. So the thinking here is that we 're no better off than animals. we die, nobody can prove what happens after that. and the last verse in in Ecclesiastes three. Kind of continues with this default reaction to doubts and uncertainty, enjoy work and life. It says this, verse twenty-two. So I saw that there is nothing better for people than to be happy in their work, and that is our lot in life. And no one can bring us back to see what happens after we die. So be happy in your work because no one can bring you back. And this is the perspective again of under the sun. So I wouldn't necessarily see this as a a categorical denial of the afterlife. It's just looking at this perspective of, if this is all there is, this is what I observe. Now, thank goodness that's not all there is. And this is Ecclesiastes. It's not the completion of God's revelation to us on the subject. But before we get to that, just a couple of points of interest. Looking at some other ways of thinking, Plato, for example, a disciple of Socrates, Plato believed that the soul was immortal and that the body was not. So with Plato, you have to purge the soul of all the carnal influence of the body through philosophy. That's what, that's what he devoted his time and his thinkings to. Now, Plato wasn't alone in these kind of musings. Various conceptions of afterlife are common throughout pagan and various other non-Christian religions. Remember, eternity is planted in our hearts. Everybody grapples with that, no matter what you believe but that religions that promote reincarnation or some other kind of modern New Age thought, they see death as only a door to the afterlife and that the body is not physically raised with any kind of resurrection. So today, many people believe that you can enter eternal bliss, some kind of eternal security, through the door of death with any help from God. This is very pervasive throughout the years of human existence and even today. But this is not the message of biblical Christianity, of biblical faith, not the message of Jesus. In the Christian faith, death is considered and described and consistently described as a curse and an enemy. Look at this smattering of verses from the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 15.26 The last enemy to be destroyed is death. 1 Corinthians 15.54 and following. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, Where is your sting? Revelation 2014, which we just finished a couple of weeks ago. "Then death in the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. So death is a curse and an enemy, but there is good news. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has conquered death and opened the way for the resurrection of humanity. So contrary to to Plato, the whole person, body and soul, enters immortality. And this is dependent on the resurrection and the power of God. Therefore, our hope of eternal life must be founded on God and not in ourselves. In Christ, we have hope. So as Christians, we view this completely differently than everyone else. And we even grieve differently. A lot of us have had to deal with death in the last few years. We've lost, we've lost loved ones, family members, some far too soon. And we think about death and what this means. But as followers of Jesus, we have the capacity, because of God's Spirit within us, to grieve differently. Look what 1 Thessalonians says. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. So if, if the view of under the sun kind of theology, Ecclesiastes, this is all there is, death is, is paralyzingly terrible. But it's not. It's not all there is. We have the hope of Christ. We have the hope of the resurrection. We have real hope in Christ. I'd like to invite the worship team up at this time. We're going to have a concluding song in just a few moments. To drive home this, this point, the Apostle Paul says in First Corinthians 14, if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. But we know that Christ has been raised, and there will be a resurrection. And if you trust in Jesus, you are not guilty of your sins. Your sins are paid for, past, present, and future, paid for at the cross. This is good news. So we can gain a real helpful perspective of life from Ecclesiastes, but it's not the final word on the hope that we have in God. So we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear injustice the injustices that we experience personally, the greater ones that seem insurmountable in the world. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear life because we see life as a blessing from God. God has a plan to work out everything for your good if you submit yourself to Jesus, if you make Jesus the Lord and Savior and leader of your life. God will work out everything, even the most difficult things in your life, for your goods. You don't have to fear life. We certainly don't have to fear death. Death and the grave have been defeated by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So there might be pain in life, there might be sorrows, but the love of Christ will never fail. Will never fail you. We're gonna sing about this in just a moment. Jesus is the resurrected Christ and we can trust Him. Listen, if you if you take this under the sun perspective of your life, a life apart from God, life is going to be a constant search for meaning. Nothing is going to fulfill that search. There's going to be different seasons of life, equally challenging and difficult. God has planted eternity in all of our hearts. We're created with a longing for the one true God. So Jesus is here today, his spirit is active here today calling you to himself. And we're not looking under the sun anymore. We're looking above to Jesus. John 3:31. He's come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are of the earth and we speak of earthly things, but he has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. So whatever season you find yourself in today, a joyful one, a difficult one, it has meaning when you look to the one from above, Jesus Christ. We have real hope. I invite you to place your faith in Jesus today, in experience doing life together with Jesus and other people following Jesus. If you'd like to talk about this after the service, I'd love to chat with you today. Let's conclude in prayer. God, we thank you for your perspective. Thank you that this life is not all that there is, that our pain and our sorrow and our difficulties don't define us forever. Thank you that we can have real hope and trust in you in the rock-solid hope of the resurrection. Thank you, Jesus, for defeating sin, death, and the devil. We want to order our lives under your leadership. God, for whoever is here that needs a fresh touch from you, God, I pray that you would pour that into their heart and mind today. That even now, as we are about to sing your praises, that they would, from from within, would well up just great praise to you. That your spirit would do a special work in their heart today. For those that need to say yes to you for the first time, God, I pray that their hearts would be opened to a future of hope and a future of joy following you through every challenge. God, we worship you and we proclaim you as our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.